Good afternoon. <laughs> Welcome to episode 93. 93, wow. 93 of the How to Cope Well podcast. Hope everybody is doing well. It is Thursday, the 18th of March. It's uh, 20 hundred hours, eight o'clock PM in the here in the, the UK. And cheers. So today we're going to be talking about software testing. Um, we're going to be talking about five reasons to test your code. And this has come, I was been thinking about this uh, for a while. And um, really the, the thing that pushed me to, to discuss this and actually break it down into five things was listening to the Iteration podcast. Um, and uh, they were talking about te um, technical interview questions. Um, or not technical, well, interview questions. They were talking about interview questions and um, one of the questions was testing philosophy. And I thought, well, hang on, let's, uh, what is my philosophy? Do I have a philosophy? You know, it made me think, I, I really do like the Iteration podcast. Uh, it really made me think. And uh, as I started, I, I just thought, right, open up the notepad or, or whatever this is, notes in Mac, and then start writing down uh, what my philosophy is. And as I started, I turned it into writing bullet points and I've made five bullet points. Um, and so I want to talk about each one of these because I suppose this does build my philosophy up of testing. Uh, and it has changed somewhat over the, over the many, many uh, years of experimenting with testing, failing uh, writing the tests, creating, I don't know, countless amounts of fragile tests and getting to the point where I can see the benefits outweighing the negatives of writing tests. Um, I've, I've been through all sorts of, all sorts of um, different styles of testing, shall we say. Testing that got in the way, testing that helps out, um, all of those kind of things. So we'll, we'll talk through these five five reasons to test your code. We'll talk through those um, in the show. But before we before we crack on to this, just want to iterate that this is um, a live show. And so, if you've got any questions, then please don't hesitate to uh, to ask. Hello, Eternal Programming. Um, thank you for joining. I hope you are doing fantastic and well. Um, and uh, yeah, we're just going to we're just going to shoot from the hip. We're going to talk about I I literally only have these five these five sentences, and we're just going to expand on those. Before I do though, let's just uh, do a little quick recap of um, uh, how to code well and where this is going in terms of you know the the developments um, over the over the last few weeks. Um, I've been in DevOps world, so each evening I've been up very late uh, working on the DevOps side of the HowToCodeWell.net website. As I've mentioned many times before, the new website um, is currently in Gatsby. That's the front end, the PHP side, the, the back end, the API um, that is in Symfony or built in Symfony. And what I'm doing is bringing both, both the front end and the back end together and I'm now at a stage where I can deploy. I, I, I've created some scripts where I can actually spin up VPSs and deploy to beta. So 
I'm hoping there's still a lot to do. There's still a lot of, of uh, groundwork to clear. But I'm hoping in the next few weeks I'll be able to re um, release a new version of the beta site. So I'm hoping that I'll be able to get onto the Discord server and announce a new beta version uh, for the beta testers. Of course, if you want to, and I'll, 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 I'll open up the beta testing again uh, when we get to that point. But anyway, yeah, just as I've just touched on there, we have a Discord server. If you've got any coding questions, then please don't hesitate to ask in there. That's howtocodewell.net forward slash Discord. And for those who don't know, howtocodewell.net will eventually become the platform for How to Code Well. <coughs> and I'm developing it on live on Twitch. So uh, if you want to see me uh, write code, and if you want to ask questions, or even if you've got any suggestions, then uh, come and check me out on Twitch. It's uh, how to, it's yeah. twitch.tv forward slash how to code well. And uh, I stream Tuesday mornings at um, 7 a.m. because I'm a, a madman. Uh, 7 a.m. <laughs> I get up at I get up at the crack of uh, well at about about six, and then uh, I, I stream at seven. So seven until about half half eight. Um, on Tuesday mornings. This is all GMT. And then again, I stream on Sundays. This is a longer stream from 14.30, 2.30 in the afternoon. Usually goes on till half four, half five, that kind of thing. And also we've got coming up, we've got some uh, coding challenges. I'll talk about those more um, in the, in the, later on in uh, in this podcast but yeah we do code challenges every month where people submit their code as a little project and i review that at the end of each month so we've got the one coming up very very well in the next few weeks so i'll, I'll talk about that later let's get into the actual <coughs> excuse me nuts and bolts i don't know why i keep coughing the nuts and bolts of this talk so the top five reasons to test your code as i mentioned this is because or oh, the, the thing that inspired me was the iteration podcast. If you haven't seen that or haven't heard that, I should say, um, then do check that out. It's uh, just search for it, the iteration podcast. It's a really, really good podcast. Um, in fact, uh, I interviewed uh, the, the host um, on, uh, I can't remember what episode it was, but on this podcast, um, back when we were doing interviews, that was really good. John's uh, a really nice fella. So let's get into these top five uh, reasons to test your code because this is this has evolved in my head over the past how many years? And I first initially approached testing with the manner of it was just getting in the way. Why are you writing extra code? What is the point in tests? What is the, you know, why, it, surely surely writing a test for something that you know works because you built it, right? Surely that's you just making extra work. And then surely later on in the future, you just have to maintain that, that code. You, you know, you're writing extra code that needs to be maintained. And surely it's easy to um to to just change your the normal code and forget about the testing code um and that becomes a problem and when that happens surely it becomes more of a problem to have testing code that doesn't work and i had all of these thoughts all of these negative thoughts about testing when i started learning how to test and I was getting so confused with what the difference is between a unit test 
every article I read couldn't decide on what was a functional test versus an integration test. And then you had an acceptance test after that. Plus you had other, other levels of testing. Uh, so you, you had your, um, your smoke testing, you had your, um, your configuration testing, you had all sorts of testing. I mean, you could really go down into the, into the, into the weeds with the thing that you're actually testing. And I just thought, you know, this is just overly complicated. We are making a very complicated thing even more complicated. And really, I think it's only in the last, uh, I guess, the last year, maybe even less, sort of six months, testing has really become a thing that I do every day. And it's, it's, it's saying that out loud now makes me feel a little ashamed. <laughs> Because I have created so much code that doesn't have any tests to back that up uh, compared to all the tests, all the code that has tests to back that up. So what I'm saying is that I have and and a lot of people I know will create code that haven't hasn't got tests behind them. I can probably bet some decent amount of money that the next project I go to or the, the, the next set of projects I go to, they'll have more code that is untested than code that is tested. It's just the way it rolls, right? Um, sadly, there is, there is less projects out there that have, uh, have good tests. It really depends on your, the, the, the scale of the clients. The thing is, one of the arguments against testing is it takes time. And so when you're trying to develop things quickly, you don't want to use this testing thing because it just gets in the way. And at the time of your of writing the code, you're still kind of deciding the architecture of the software and testing just gets in the way. You know, why have to why do I have to write the tests? And then I started reading about this crazy philosophy or this crazy sort of um, uh, practice of writing tests before writing the code. And that, to me, just sounded absolutely absurd. You know, why would you do such a thing? Well, I haven't got to that stage yet, but I am writing more TDD stuff these days than I, than, than I was, say, a year ago. And so I've gone through several sort of uh, changes of thought process. I remember doing a project that was a, a freelance project, and I remember trying to chase the 100% code coverage. And I remember having to spend more more evening times try, tr trying to write the tests to back up the code that I had done during the day. And I found that I was actually spending more time writing tests than I was actually writing the code. And that was because I was writing the tests badly. <laughs> um, and so uh, that really that really turned me off of, of writing tests. And I must admit that after that, there was, I don't know, a year or so where I just didn't bother. And then I moved on to several sort of uh, jobs where testing wasn't a requirement. It wasn't an expectation, you know, so I didn't bother. And then there was there were jobs where the, the, you had a small amount of testing. Um, and now I, I can say that testing is becoming something that I do every day. 
as in writing a test to back up what I've done. Um, and I think, I think the thing that has really changed has been my, my concept of what a software professional is. Um, I'm a contractor, right? I'm a, I'm a contractor. I used to work full time for several companies. Um, in my time, I've, I've, I've done all sorts of different things. And as a self-employed PHP contractor, working in a professional space, um, try, and I, and I've done quotes, I've done invoices and I've done tent, you know, I've, I've, I've gone to presentations and meetings where I'm, I'm sort of pitching for, for work and all of that stuff as a professional part of what you do is to ensure that what you do is correct. And that sounds sensible and common sense. <laughs> and I'll go through some examples. I'll go through some examples um, of where I was thinking, like some analogies of everyday testing outside of the software space and try and sort of bring it to the software in a minute. But I'm going to get into these five reasons five reasons to test your code and we'll start with the first one and that is repeatable proof that specifications have been met now let me just let me just unpick some of that so that was the first sentence the first reason repeatable proof that specifications have been met i didn't read this from a book this is just coming out of my head you know when uh, when I was listening to that iteration podcast and they were talking about testing philosophy, I w that was the first thing that came to my mind. What does testing mean to me now? Not what it meant like when I was starting to learn testing. What does it mean now? Repeatable proof that specifications have been met. Now, notice in that sentence, I didn't actually mention the word test or testing at all. So repeatable proof. So this is where you're proving that your what you've built, what you've created works. And you can do that in a repeatable manner. Right. So repeatable proof. Um, like, you know, it, it's uh, it's it's something to keep keep running, repeating itself. You know, you make a change, you run all the tests. And you're repeating the fact that you've proven that the changes that you've just made have not broken your previous tests. Okay. Now we're going to bring break up the, the next part of this sentence um, so that the specifications have been met. So my change of thinking about writing tests in software has basically boiled down to the fact that I'm now seeing testing like um, technical specifications. So when I write a test, I'm actually writing a technical specification. I'm writing a requirement of the software. And I am ensuring when I'm running the tests that I can prove that the specifications have been met. Um, so it, it, it's a different mindset. You're not just you're not just testing code. You're testing 
the requirements. And this, I suppose this, this helps when you go into the sort of the acceptance testing level, the higher level, because then you can actually start writing a, you know, a single line, or in my case, I use Gherkin and Cucumber. So I can write the, you know, given, when, then, and, and all of that stuff. Um, so I can actually write down in sort of in plain English the actual requirements of the of what is needed for that feature to be um, acceptable. And then you break that down into, okay, that's the acceptance level. That's a high level. You know, what is the acceptance of this? You then break that down into integration testing. So, okay, what, what are the components that need to integrate together um, to actually fulfill this specification? And you'll have more specific, you'll have more integration tests that cover a single in, um, acceptance test. Think of it like an upside down triangle, right? We're starting to go down. Oh, no, no, not an upside down triangle. I've, think of it like a triangle. So you've got, your, um, you've got your acceptance test at the top. That is like a single feature. And then below that, you've got integration tests. You've got more integration tests that cover a single acceptance test. And then below your integration tests, you've got a whole bunch of unit tests. So within that integration, you'll have lots of little units that you want to test, units of work, that do a single thing, and each of those single things make up all of the parts, if you will, um, that, that that integration uses or relies on. And then above that, you then have your acceptance test uh, and, and, and so on. So when you're writing your, when you're actually writing the test methods, you are, defining a specification. Um, so take, take a unit test, for, insta for instance, you are specifying, you're defining a technical specification for a single thing because it, you're testing a single unit. So when you're writing your method names, you, you need to explain to the reader who is reading that code what that unit test is actually testing. Um, and as I said, you'll have more unit tests, you'll have lots of unit tests, then you'll have your integration tests, and then you'll have your acceptance tests above. And the repeatable proof that the specifications have been met is you repeating the tests in an automated way, you know, um, and they are repeatable, right? So you don't have to do any, any um, configuration work in between the tests, they are strictly repeatable, they are, do not hold any state, okay? So if you're dealing with a database, you change the database or you revert the database back to the, the known state, the working state um, after each of those tests. So you don't carry state forward, otherwise you don't have a control, you know, a, a controlled base, if you will. Um, so repeatable proof that specifications have been met. So that's the first, first reason why you should test your code, in my opinion. It's to give you the proof and the repeated proof that your specifications that you've defined have been met. Or it might not even be you. It could be, you could, you could, I take a very common example here. Someone gives you a, 
a, a, a technical brief, right? So they give you a, a some form of requirements document. You know, this application must do this, 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 and this. Okay, so you can then take that and turn that into technical specifications. So that they they may have given you, you know, uh, specifications of the application on a very high level. And now you have to come up with all the components and mechanics that build those features. And you would, first of all, you probably, t well, you probably take each one of those and go, okay, that's an acceptance test. That's an, ex because I'm, that's a feature. So that there's a, that there's a, an acceptance test to test that feature or that part of that feature at least. Okay. Now we've built that acceptance test. Let's now build out the integration. What do I need to call? What are the external things that need to happen? Um, you know, all the components, um, let's build those out and then let's perhaps build the, the unit test. It probably won't go in that order, but you know, that's the idea, uh, that, um, you know, the breakup of those testing, uh, all those testing strategies. So, okay. So that's the first one. And we've talked a lot about the first one. Let's get into the second one here. Easier to identify areas that need refactoring. Okay. So, uh, you know, the code coverage, the code coverage is a great tool because it tells you what has been tested and what hasn't been tested, what lines of code has been touched and what hasn't been touched. I try and use line, um, code coverage without the acceptance tests because it gives me more of a sort of, um, an overview of a, you know, in a, in sort of a granular space. So I can, I can write an acceptance test of a, of the happy path, knowing that the happy path is always going to be happy, right? Um, but when I'm dealing with unit tests, I also want to be testing for negative paths, things that will go wrong, right? And I want to write tests for that. Um, but in tests, and so that, and so, and then that was my justification of why I don't always use um, code coverage against acceptance tests, because you can just write a piece of, uh, you know, you could just write uh, something that will just scrape the site and you've touched everything and it's like, oh, okay, <laughs> all good. Um, anyway, so easier to identify areas that need refactoring. So once you've got your code coverage, once you can identify the areas that are more risky and less risky, um, you can, you can look upon, um, how you would change the riskier areas of code. And usually what happens is you get into this sort of 80-20 rule. Um, and the 80-20 rule is where your code coverage gets to about 80%. Um, and the, the first, say, I don't know, 50% was super easy to test. Super easy, because it was just low-hanging fruit. You just wrote those tests and they were done. You know, you, you bash those out, no problem. And then you get to the last 20%. That is the real tricky stuff. It's the, it's the black box stuff. It's the stuff that is really difficult to test because it probably isn't architected very well. Um, and you have to do a lot of rethinking. So it's going to take you a lot, a long, a lot longer to test the last 20% than it will, would do, um, the, the previous 80. And the, the, um, and, and this, this gives you an idea as to what areas should be refactored. Um, and also when you're, when you're writing the tests, you are then rereading the code that you've created and you are, um, you're basically, 
I don't want to say you're rubber ducking it to yourself because you already know because you've already written the code, but you can you can quickly spot areas that need to be uh, refactored. For instance, um, you could see a variable name that isn't spelt correctly, or you could see a variable name that just doesn't mean the thing that it's doing, or a method that is doesn't mean the thing that it's doing, or a file name, or you could identify a for loop and um, you know that, that that needs to be that shouldn't even be in a loop that kind of thing and you can identify areas quicker through the testing um, for elements of refactoring the reason being is that you're going over your code again you're going over your code again to write the tests now this this um, certainly works for test for testing code that's already been written what about code that hasn't been written so TDD test driven development well, when you're, when you're writing tests first, so you haven't written the code yet, you're just writing the test. You're writing a failing test to then write the code to then make that failing test pass. When you get into that, so it's a cycle. When you get into that rinse and repeat cycle, you quickly are able, you're, you're able to more quickly identify, you know, you, you, how, What's the best way to term this? So you're questioning, you're, well, I find that I question myself more often when I'm doing TDD than, I went, than when I just sort of write code. So I'm questioning myself, should it be called this? Should it be called that? Um, and those, those, the answers to those questions will dictate what I change and refactor. Um, and I find TDD helps with that. Um, when you don't do TDD, you kind there, there are some things that you write where you just set and forget. It's like, oh yeah, no, that works, so we'll leave it. Whereas TDD is is constantly going over your code. You know, you you are iterating over the code that you've created because until you've actually finished writing the feature, you're going to continue repeating over and over and over and over all the tests, all the unit tests, all the features that you are creating, all the things, all the code that you're writing in order to get this final feature out. Um, and you have lots of these little cycles within TDD. And that's the thing that TDD brings to the table over testing after the fact, you know, after the um, code has been written. Uh, TDD gives you the opportunity to think about how you're going to structure and, and refactor the code and how it's all going to slot together as you're doing it, which is super important. Um, and I, I must admit, TDD is something that I'm still, I am still struggling with uh, because it takes a long time um, for me to get into that cycle. Um, and also with some of the things that I do, I'm working on projects that uh, already have code written. So TDD in that scenario gets quite tricky because if the code, if if you're working on a feature that that relies on other code, and that other code hasn't been tested, then it's like, well, where do you where do you stop? You know, um, and unfortunately, I'm I am leaning on the whole time thing on on TDD. You know, I I never want to get to a point where I'm I'm <laughs> where where a client is like, where's the work, Pete? And I'm like, well, the work isn't actually done yet, but I can show you them some tests to prove that I'm almost there. <laughs> um, I don't know. Maybe I don't know. Maybe that's a good thing. I, I don't know. 
Um, anyway, so number three is less risky. It's less, sorry, it's less risky to make drastic changes to core features. So this is something that I can relate to a, a huge amount because um, in the How to Code Well site, we have the, the sort of authentication system. And that authentication system was using FOSS, um, FOSS OAuth and FOSS user. So FOSS OAuth server and FOSS user. Those were the two bundles of Symfony that we were using. And I, I, think, um, I think it was when I upgraded a version of PHP or I did something and I, I basically sort of snookered myself. I couldn't use those packages anymore because at the time they may have changed, but at the time they didn't support the thing, the, the thing that I wanted to upgrade to. And so I either, I had to make a decision. Do I not upgrade what I'm doing or do I um, rip out those bundles and rewrite the thing? Um, and I discovered that um, the thing that I was trying to do, they decided that those bundles weren't going to be supported with that, so I had no choice. Now, authentication, user login, um, session management, all of that stuff, it's very tricky. It's, it's, it's very tricky to write code for. You know, it's very difficult, complicated stuff. And I rebuilt it very quickly because I had the tests, because I knew that I had tested the features with those bundles, and therefore I had my self-specifications that defined what a, a stable site should do. And so when I started removing the those bundles, you know, obviously the test started to fail, which meant that I had a checklist of things that I needed to do in order to get the test to work. And I knew that I wouldn't be able to get back to my uh, confidence levels as it was with those bundles installed until those tests had passed because I wouldn't have a like-for-like -like system. Which means that, you know, and, and so the pressure was off. And so the pressure was off because, uh, you know, the amount of times I've done some work where we've done a massive change to something and we're not 100% sure that we've captured every edge case because we just don't know. Um, and that's the thing. It gives you knowledge. Knowledge is power. You know the thing that it, you know, you're changing and you know how that is going to impact in other areas. And believe you me, there'll be areas of the code that rely on these, these changes that you do, don't even, aren't even aware of aren't even aware of. It was surprising the amount of tests that were failing because I was pulling and pushing all of this stuff out and, 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 and recoding it. Um, I didn't, I just totally didn't appreciate all the other, f you know, subsidiary features that were relying on this, uh, on this change. It was huge. It was huge. I was finding areas where I was injecting um, classes from, I think it was the FOSS user stuff. And I didn't realize, I just totally forgot that I was doing dependency injection of the, the certain, I think it was the user manager in other places of code that um, I didn't necessarily think would, you know, would use it, but it, it did. That also gave me the opportunity, of course, of doing some more 
uh, light refactoring on those kind of things. And I was able to do some decoupling at that point because I was like, well, this is probably going to happen again. I'm probably going to have to re rewrite this at some point. And so let me, let me, um, you know, give my future self, you know, a helping hand here. Um, so yeah, so that's, that's the third one, less risky to make drastic changes to core features. Actually there's, um, so core features isn't just the framework. It could be the actual language. So if you're upgrading from PHP seven to PHP eight or, you know, PHP five to PHP eight, um, you're, you need to have tests. You need to be, you need to have the ability to see, um, how your, what is a stable system now versus what is a stable system after the change. And if you don't have any tests to tell you how stable your system is now, then you ain't going to have any tests to tell you how stable it is later on. And probably it's going to be less stable than it is now. <laughs> I, I remember there was one thing I did, one, one project I was working on ages ago, years ago. <coughs> we were upgrading, I think it was PHP, I think it was a, a low version of PHP 5. We were upgrading that. And um, we, 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 uh, we discovered after the upgrade... Um, not in production, I don't think, but in uh, in staging, that there was this really interesting sort of edge case. We did something on the site, and it was it was um, it was screwing up. Um, we couldn't work out why. We couldn't work out why. All the code was the same. It was just the change of the uh, of the version of PHP. And we we eventually got to the bottom of it after lots of work. And we discovered it was a it was a change in um, in the way something was stored via the sessions. So the sessions had changed in the versions of PHP, and it was one of those sort of cases where if you didn't know that change was made in that version, then you just wouldn't you just wouldn't realize you just wouldn't realize. And on the face of it, the 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 session issue wasn't apparent. You know, we, we looked at all sorts of different avenues, all sorts of different possibilities. And then we, you know, we were like, let's just read the change log <laughs> and compare um, the things that have changed in PHP in whatever version we upgraded to, to the versus the one we're on at the moment. And it was bonkers. We were doing it in Docker. So we were able to flip between version to version. And yeah, the previous version just worked like no problem. Um, and then the new version just failed and we were, we were pulling our hair out. Um, that was an interesting, that was an interesting one, but it just goes to prove that if you could write a test that is repeatable, um, that proved that your stable version was stable and it was, you were writing tests in a way that really broke up your specification into, into unit tests, you know, so you really drilled down into testing your, the, the code, you would be it'd be easier to quickly identify um, those areas, those those uh, issues. <coughs> and so you, you, as a developer, you gain the confidence to just pull things out, rip things out and, and just replace things. You know, um, software shouldn't be a big, you know, a Jenga game. Uh, you know, the game of Jenga where you've got the blocks and you've got, you take a block out and you put the block on top and eventually the Jenga um, game falls over and it's the person who makes, puts the last block on top or, you know, does the thing where, 
um, you know, they, they put the block on the, on the wrong side and it, you know, the weight takes it. Software shouldn't be like that. Software should not be. And, but unfortunately, a lot of the times it is a lot of the times it is. And if you can test your code, you're making sure that when you, when you take that Jenga block and putting it on, onto the, onto the tower and you put, or maybe poking it through the hole, you're, you are ensuring that you're going to keep this Jenga tower stable. <laughs> okay, so um, number four is kind, I've kind of mentioned number four, is to quickly identify risky code, code black holes and the 80-20 rule. So code black holes are like, you know, things that you know work because you've just clicked through the pages and you can see they work. Um, you know, it's obvious that they work because you, you know, it, it could even be like, I mean, think of a very technical thing, right? So maybe the checkout, you know that the checkout works because you know your client is making money. You know, you can see the money going through, right? But that testing the checkout <laughs> is such a very, is so tricky because there's so many different um, uh, co complications to a checkout page. You could have discount rules, you could have um, shipping rules, I mean, shipping rules in itself is extremely difficult because then you've got, you know, rules based on region, based on postcode, based on zip code, based on weight of the products, based on the amount of products that you've, you, um, you're selling, all of those kind of crazy stuff just to get a total figure, right? Um, so a, a checkout is incredibly difficult to test. Same as, um, you know, testing date functions. Date functions are a nightmare to test. Um, same as testing um, locales and things like that. And th there's so many sort of areas of code that is just, it's just black holes. You, you know they work because you can see them working on the website when you're clicking through. But they are, they're, whole, they're black holes because they're very difficult to test. And they should be tested, right? So when you start taking a look at these complicated areas, and you start plucking things out, you start to bring things into their own services and their own um, responsibilities. And then you test just that responsibility. And you start to eat that feature from the outside in. And after a while, it'll probably take you, you know, a long time, but after a while, that scary black hole will actually be very, very small because you've tested all the things around that and you've been able to refactor and move portions of code maybe there was a discount thing on the on the on the on the checkout so what you've done is you've you've created a discount service right or maybe there was a postcode lookup that uh, changed the price so you took that out and that was a that was that itself was just the responsibility of looking up a postcode the responsibility of changing the price went to something else, was delegated somewhere else. You start learning about software design patterns, and then you start re-architecting that, that huge black hole of complications into something that is more manageable and more realistic. And therefore, when you come to improve and change the checkout, which is, you know, it's the moneymaker, <laughs> um, you feel more comfortable and confident um, about doing those those drastic changes. 
And I, I mentioned the 80-20 rule with code coverage. So <coughs> one thing about code coverage is it, like if you were to chase 100% code coverage, then, uh, you know, all power to you. But just be, just be aware that um, you should be spending um, you sp should be spending more time testing the things that are difficult to test rather than things rather than time spending rather than spending a lot of time uh, testing things that you just know work. So for example, getters and setters, right? Accessor methods. Those things aren't as difficult to test because you're just setting and getting a variable um, or a property than say a, uh, an actual calculation of the checkout based on some of the rules, based on something that, you know, has been, uh, you know, the, the, the state of a particular user account. <laughs> um, so, but on the flip side to that, the, the contradictory case to that is that the more code that you've covered, the more chance you can actually detect deprecations in your code. And the more deprecations you're testing, te your testing suite uh, returns, the more knowledge about the future changes you're going to have to make to your code, right? So, so for example, um, if you run the test suites, at the end, it'll come up with some deprecations. And those deprecations will say, you know, this method is deprecated and will be removed within, you know, in the next, in the next version or version X, Y, Z. And um, you can you can look at those deprecations and you know you spend some time to sort those out. So when you do come to do that upgrade, uh, you're not stung. I've been stung many many times. And yes, in things like Symphony, there is a deprecations log, but who reads that? If you're um, if you're uh, running tests in a repeated fashion those deprecation messages are going to be shown every time you run those tests, which means that they are added to the quick feedback loop. It's going to constantly remind you that those deprecations need to be fixed before you upgrade to a specific version. Um, so it's, it's one of those things. Code coverage is, 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 um, it's, yeah, I never used to say chase 100% code coverage, but now I'm thinking that as long as your complicated code has been tested, go for it. Why not? There's no there's no harm. Just, I mean, I, I, I can just remember wasting so much time on a particular project because I was chasing 100% code coverage. And if you do it wrong, then you end up with fragile tests. Um, <laughs> I... And I've been there so many times. So you don't want to spend all your time just, you know, just testing just because you want the, the green bar, right? You, you, that you want to be testing because you want to, in, you want, want to ensure that the things that you're writing, uh, the code that you're writing works and also works with the existing code base. You don't want to be just, you know, measuring stuff. You don't want to just have a nice green chart. There is a reason why you're writing this this stuff. Um, it's it's not just for a, you know it's not a tick box exercise. The last um, the last one is an important one. The last reason to test your code. So I'm dyslexic. Okay, I I um, I mix up numbers and letters and I I can't spell very well. And um, 
we've talked about refactoring, um, but I I make silly silly mistakes, especially when I get tired and I've been working for you know ages, and I just start making stupid. We've all been there. Make stupid mistakes when you're writing tests. Um, you are minimizing developer error uh, because you're you're basically writing something to back the thing up. You're 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 you're. It's like having another developer look over your shoulder and go, "Nah, you don't want to be doing like like that. If you did it like that, you're going to break this." You know, so you are minimizing developer error and developer oversight. So what what I mean by developer oversight is, let's say, for instance, someone gives you uh, a a specification, um, some sort of document that says this needs to be built like this. If you tackle this with TDD, you can break that up into small sort of bite-sized chunks that you are constantly going over in your head, which means that you are rereading that specification, that the specification that was given to you, and you are converting that into your own technical specification. And you're doing so in a rinse and repeat kind of cycle, which means that you're, there, there is less risk of you over um, underthinking or overthinking something because you know, you're, 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 you're thinking about the code before you're actually writing the code, uh, which, which is something that I really do like (laughs) with TDD. It forces you to think, it forces you to just not, not suddenly just jump straight into the code, get into the, to the, to the deep end and just, you know, uh, rift. It, It forces you to take a step back and think about how are you going to solve this problem? And then once you have the solution, you then write the uh, write the code that proves that solution. Um, and by doing so, you you don't you, you reduce the risk of developer oversight. It's not a, a you know oh I didn't think of it like that I didn't think of it like that, you know, um, because you've had the time to think about it. <laughs> I want to talk a little bit about um, times. Because there's a lot of there's a lot of um, chatter around testing, where people say that testing code takes time, and it does. It takes it takes a lot of time. But that is time that you need to allocate. It's it's not time that your your uh, employer needs to allocate. You need to allocate that time, and and this is we're now moving on to the professionalism of software. You know, um, I, I've struggled for a long time with estimates and I still do. I can't estimate things very well, but what I'm doing now is I'm, 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 I'm creating higher estimates because those estimates have tests and I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't even say that there's tests involved. There's just tests involved. And so, like, for instance, um, when someone says, oh, yeah, you know, it'll take me half an hour to build. I can guarantee you that person hasn't even considered how they're going to test that feature. You know, oh, I'm, this is this is going to take me an hour. Yeah, say it's going to take two, right? Spend, spend the second hour testing it. Or, you know, this, this is going to take me half a day. So it's going to take you a day and then write tests. You know, the thing is, the thing is, 
as a professional, you should be embarrassed if your code is in production and it fails. That's the simple truth. If your code is in production and it fails, then you should be embarrassed because you didn't test that it works. You know, if it was, a, if it, if the failure is to, is because of something that you could have quite easily picked up in a unit test or, or, you know, any kind of test and you didn't put in the time and the effort to test that, then you should feel bad, right? And you need to apologize and you need to see that as a, a you know, as reflection upon you as a developer and the next time someone asks you to do something, you need to increase the amount of time it's, uh, that uh, it's going to take you because you need to test it. And the thing is, if, you're, if the person, if the client loses money because the website has failed because of a bug in your code that you didn't test, they are going to be less that they're going to be more frustrated because they're running they're losing money there's also a reputation thing on the side of that as well and they would be more willing to to allocate more budget more time for you to actually write code which has a repeatable proof that the specifications have been met <laughs> You know, um, there's, there's also a, an element of pride. Okay, there's also an element of pride. So this is where we get into some analogies. Um, so recently our boiler uh, blew up, or didn't blow up, it, it, it died. Our boiler died. And so we needed to get a replacement boiler. And um, and so we we got um, we got in touch with some various companies um, to, to do this. And it was quite a big job as we... we quickly discovered we need to we need to not only replace the boiler the immersion heater um this big huge tank of water up in the attic needed to go um we had to have copper piping um sort of built around the house <laughs> you know holes had to be drilled in places i didn't even know we had so there, it was a big big job it was a big job and a lot of people were involved in this and the the main guy, the guy who 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 ran the show, he was inc incredibly hands off. He came in at the start and he said, "This is what we're going to do. We're going to get a team of people together to do this, um, and I'll be back once it's done. Um, you know, I'll, I'll, you know, here's my number. It's going to take this amount of, you know, here, here's the quote, here's all that stuff, um, and then we we." He went off and did did his own thing. His team came back. Uh, he came the next day or and and days after, and they did all of their specific jobs. Their their you know they, we had people in the attic taking out the immersion tank. We had people um, creating uh, copper gas piping around the house. We had people drilling holes. We had you know people taking out the rubbish. All sorts of different jobs were happening over the span of a couple of days. And they all worked in complete harmony and clockwork. It was great. And then after that, 
they left, the dude came back, the, the main guy came back and he did an, sort of an inspection um, to just see how things uh, worked. And he was checking things. He was checking the, you know, the holes. He was checking the, the tank. He was checking the boiler. He was checking all sorts of things. And that was him testing. That was him not just checking on his employer, employees, the people he, he, was paid to, he was paying to actually do this, his task force. But he was ensuring that his name was not going to be dragged down by my annoyances because you know, the job wasn't done well. It was done brilliantly and he made sure it was done really well. Same with the, we've got a tree in the garden. <laughs> we've got a, a few trees in the garden and we had a, a tree surgeon come around uh, last year and he was, he was, um, uh, they, we asked the tree surgeon to shape the tree and it was a, sil it was a silver birch and, um, or it is a silver birch, it's still there. And anyway, there was uh, there was like three different people, and um, they they were they were all given sort of specific tasks around the garden um, to do these trees. And there was this one tree, and we were asked, you know, the the level and the shape and all of this stuff, um, and that that sort of, you know, he he the person did that, and of course that that um, chopping down parts of the tree meant that a lot of uh, foliage fell down, which meant that the uh, the garden got messy and all of that stuff. Anyway, once that was done, the the main guy came back again and started having a look at the work, and he was checking the the shape of the tree. He was also checking if the waste was taken out. He was checking if we were okay with what was done. He was doing tests. He was testing, um, and it it it's it's that that I remember. <laughs> I don't remember the conversations we had. I don't remember how long it took. I don't even remember the price it cost. I just remember that these two in these two um, events, there was professionals involved, and they were taking pride in what they did by checking what their staff had done. Um, and if you you know you could break this analogy down even further and say, well, you know, the people who if we were to talk about the boiler stuff again the people who were taking the you know doing the immersion heater versus the people who were doing the copper piping you could say that they're different sort of testers doing different things or what have you but we won't go into into that sort of sort of level but one the point i'm just trying to make is that it's it's a, it's an element of pride if you're testing your work you are ensuring that it works you are ensuring that the code that you write is sound and is meeting the specification that was that was um, defined by the client, um, and it means that when it's in production, fingers crossed, it's less likely to break. Um, and with the, the the tree surgeon, he actually um, he actually brought back his uh, some of his guys because he didn't like the way you know he 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 noticed that there was some rubbish on the ground you know from the from the leaves that fell down. Or he and he noticed that the one side of the tree needed to be shaved down a little bit, you know that kind of stuff. So it, it was doing, it was having that sort of level of checking that really kind of struck me. And I kind of see this with software development. Um, time is one of those things that we need to allocate. We need to say, you know, 
it's going to take this long because of the testing. And we shouldn't even mention testing to our clients. The clients should just expect that we test our work. The fact that we can get away with not testing our work, in my opinion, is, is, is actually quite embarrassing. <laughs> um, but, you know, testing doesn't happen all the time. I certainly don't test my work all the time. I certainly haven't got any projects that are, you know, 100% code coverage. You know, I don't want to sound like I'm stood here on my pedestal sort of preaching that everybody should test. And if they don't, they're not professional enough. I do appreciate that there are um, times where testing does get in the way. It does get in the way. And, you know, there might be a case where there isn't any budget for, for it. Um, but as long as the client is aware that this is untested code going into an environment where people could, you know, could break it, use it in a way that wasn't a de uh, um, sort of defined, and then there would be a risk of reputation, those kind of things. Um, but yeah, I think I think testing is something that I'm going to be trying to do more often. Um, I now test pretty much every day now, which is so awesome. Um, and it's something that um, something that I'm I'm I would like to strive to do. I think that it's a, it's a very good thing in your it's a very good thing. I mean, I could talk about testing for ages, but I think it's a very good thing for um, software developers. It's a skill that software developers need to learn. And on the face of it, it sounds bloody obvious. You know, testing, <laughs> test your work, test your code. Why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you? <laughs> anyway, so on the 28th of uh, March this, well, this month, 28th of March, um, we are going to be doing the code challenge review. The code challenge review is um, every every month uh, I set out a challenge on Discord. Actually, I do it on Twitch, but uh, there is a code challenges channel on Discord and um I set that out, I, I, I link to the challenge. Um, this challenge is going to be object-oriented programming and it's um, it's, a, it's 10 quiz questions. Let me, let me spin up the site and I'll, uh, I'll go through each of these questions because these are, these are interview style questions. And the idea is that um, at the, on the review, I'll be going through people's code and, uh, or people's answers and discussing the their answers um, in a very relaxed, chilled out way. But these are questions that I've been asked before in in the interview process. So I thought I might as well list them down here and then just see what other people uh, see what other people do. So let me just bring up the site. It's codechallenges.howtocodewell.net. Codechallenges.howtocodewell.net. On the 28th of March, um, on Sunday, I will be reviewing these 10 PHP OOP quiz questions. So, test your PHP OOP knowledge with these interview style questions. Question number one is, is multiple inheritance supported in PHP? Yes or no? Question two, explain the difference between a class and an object. Question three, demonstrate the singleton pattern. Question four, explain why the singleton pattern is sometimes considered an anti-pattern. That is one, that is, that is a very popular question in terms of the interviews. Uh, question five, explain what an abstract class does. So this is all PHP, by the way. 
<coughs> Question six. Can an abstract class extend another abstract class, yes or no? Question seven. Can a PHP interface extend another PHP interface, yes or no? Uh, question eight now. How many interfaces can a PHP class implement? <laughs> question number nine. Explain when you would use an interface instead of an abstract class. And finally, question number 10. We have an example here. Explain the output of the following code. So um, just for those listening, I will, uh, I will just go through this line by line. So it's only a small example. The idea is that you explain the output. So we have a final class. It's a, fi it's a final class called base class. And in that final class, we have a public, a public function called test. This test method uh, returns base class test called. So it's a string that just says base class test called. Okay, so it returns a string. There is another class underneath this, which is called class child class. This extends our final base class. And then in our global code, we do um, variable obj is equal to a new instantiation of the child class. And then we have another variable called output. And that is assigned the value of obj and then test. So that is the test method. It's calling the test method of the final base class via the uh, the child class and then we're echoing the output variable so what is actually returned and why uh, from that so they're the 10 questions <coughs> if you fancy doing this then uh, please join our discord server go to howtocodewell.net forward slash discord to join totally free to join there is the coding challenges channel and if you submit your GitHub repository to that, I will then go through the code or go through your answers. It's a little bit different, this one, to the other challenges that we've had, because the other challenges, they're more sort of project-based or more sort of code-based, whereas this one, it's more theory-based, uh, I, I, I guess. It's asking questions, and the answers are either, you know, an explanation or yes or no. We haven't really had that before. Um, previously, we've had things like, you know, regex challenges, we've had Python challenges, we've had um, JavaScript challenges, we've even, even created JavaScript games. Um, so there's a new challenge every month, and this one is the latest one, PHP OOP quiz. So go check that out. That's codechallenges.howtocowell.net if you want to level up your PHP skills um, in a chilled, relaxed manner. That would be awesome. So that's pretty much all I've got for today. I'm going to take another swig of my beer. Mm. Yum. Uh, yeah. So I'm just going to go through those five reasons to test your code. I'm just going to talk about, I'm just going to run off all of the, all of the five sentences. Number one, repeatable proof that specifications have been met. Number two, easier to identify areas that need refactoring. Number three, less, it's less risky to make drastic changes to core features. And number four, quickly identify risky code, code black holes, and the 80-20 rule. And the last one is to minimize developer error and developer oversight. <laughs> okay, thank you ever so much for, for listening and watching. 
And uh, I will see you at the same time next week. Uh, and maybe Sunday, if you're about Sunday at 14.30 GMT on Twitch. We're going to continue on. I may even show a bit of DevOps, maybe some Ansible and Terraform. I don't know. I haven't decided. But anyway, thank you ever so much. See you again soon. Happy coding, everyone. Cheers. Bye-bye. <laughs>